Hello and welcome to Deep Dives into the Bible, where we take our time and go deeply into God's Word. I am Father Michael Nasser from St. Nicholas Worth Walsh Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Today we are continuing our focus on Matthew chapter 20, I believe, which is episode 81 in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. We're here with members of our St. Nicholas family and happy you've joined us. Let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who lovest mankind with the true light of the divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to understand the gospel teachings. He implanted us all with the commandments that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as well pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, unto thee we ascribe glory. Together with thy Father, wisdom everlasting, then all holy and good and life-giving spirit, now and ever to the ages of ages. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, good to be together again after a little break. Um, just by way of remembering where we were, before we move on, um, when we last met, we were talking about the conversation that uh, James yeah, and John. Yeah, goes right in. Let me try that. <laughs> I did everything you did, and um. Did you mute? <laughs> well, I just clicked to join with with um audio. Did you do that? I'm just doing it. There you go. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh. So, do you remember the mother of James and John? Uh, let's see, where are we? Actually, it was James and John in this in this son. Um, um, no, it was something. It was the mother of James and John. Yeah, uh, you know, let my son sit when you're right, when you're left. Um, and Jesus says, you know, are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they say, we're able. Um, some people, when they read that, they say, well, wait a minute. Um, St. John was the only apostle that did not, uh, die a martyr's death. And so, hey, Manny, come on in. Welcome. Would you close that door for us? Thank you. Um, and so the people said, well, gee, was Jesus wrong in his prediction? Um, he wasn't wrong. Uh, of course. <laughs> Anytime we think Jesus is wrong, we know we're on the wrong path. Um, but I want I want to I want you to hear some writing um, some Saint Jerome on this um, because it's again a little reminder of what the last thing we studied, uh, but also it's a really important point. Um, he says it is asked how the sons of Zebedee, namely James and John, drank the cup of martyrdom, when Scripture says that such an apostle as James was beheaded by Herod, but John ended life with a natural death. If we read the ecclesiastical histories, we, re we see it related that even John himself, for the sake of martyrdom, was sent into a vat of boiling oil, and from there proceeded as an athlete to win the crown. Immediately he was sent away to the island of Patmos, so we shall see that the spirit of martyrdom was not lacking, and that John drank the cup of confession, which even the three boys in the furnace of the fire drank, although their persecutor did not shed blood. Uh, I think so. I'm going to mute you, Rick. Sorry. Um, so, by the way, this confession is not the confession of sins. The, the confessors are a type of saint who suffers for the faith, but doesn't die a martyr's death. Mm -hmm. So we call them the confessors because they confess their faith in Christ. Um, they didn't witness to it by their death. And so it's just a way of distinguishing um, uh, but I had not, before I read that, I didn't realize that St. John had gone into a vat of boiling oil and was preserved miraculously from it. Uh, we know that he died on the island of Patmos, which is where he wrote, um, the Revelation, which you studied before we studied Matthew here. Um, but anyway, I thought that was interesting that they both, so Jesus is through, um, and by the way, this is the St. James that is the saint uh, tradition in Santiago. 
I'm going to mute everybody today. Sorry. Um, there we go. Um, so that's the St. James that I made pilgrimage to. And actually, just um, a couple days ago, I rewatched the movie The Way. So let's watch that movie uh, before I left. And it's a, a story about uh, a man who travels the Camino de Santiago. Uh, but that's the St. James who traveled all the way to Santiago and then goes back to Jerusalem. And almost immediately when he returns to Jerusalem, he's killed by Herod. And that's the same uh, Jerome is mentioning here. Anyway, so I thought that would be interesting for you all to hear as we kind of remember where we left off. But we pick things up with, uh, I believe this is the last section of chapter 20. Uh, the section about Jesus healing the two blind men. So would somebody read for us chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. And if I muted you, you might have to unmute yourself. <laughs> We're getting some background noise on some of your mics. Uh, they should be able to unmute themselves, I think. Any volunteers? Rob? Oh, sure. Nice now, and loud. All right. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude, multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Okay, so this is a familiar gospel because it comes up annually in our cycle of readings on Sundays. Um, I think we had it probably, I don't know, let's say three or four weeks ago, it's a regular cycle of, uh, of readings. Um, just a quick note, if you go back to chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside and on the way said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. Okay, so that was back in verse 17. Now we're at verse 29. As they went out of Jericho, um, someday, God willing, we'll get to go visit there. But for those of you that haven't been, um, you could either flip to a map. But Jericho is on the road up to Jerusalem. So he's made his prediction. We're going up to Jerusalem. They had the whole discussion about sitting at his left and right hand. And now they've passed through Jericho, which is the last sort of big city you hit on your way up to Jerusalem. Um, so they're on their way. That's the, and, and people that would have lived in that area would have known that. Um, so this is not outside the flow. Of course, when we study things, we're looking you know, really deeply for a couple of verses or a part of a chapter. We're not reading it as the book would have been read in like a normal book where you just sort of read and you keep reading. Did so they knew advance that he was coming, or they just happened to be sitting on the side of the road when he was coming by. Like, do you know they did they know days ahead that he was coming, or someone told like an hour ahead that he's right. coming? It's a it's a great question. And and most of the questions like those we ask, we don't the answers we don't know. Because we only know what, what the scripture tells us, what, what the book tells us. Um so what do we what do we know? We know that they were sitting by the roadside, and why do why do blind people sit by a roadside typically? They beg, right? They can't work. They cannot earn income because of their disability. And um, in that culture, it would have been just understood because this is not a culture that has disability programs or accessibility programs. So if you are in that kind of state. What do you do? You beg, which is interesting because one of the key themes that rolls through the entire Bible, Old to New Testament, is that those who have funds that can earn money, therefore, need to supply for those that can't. 
And so this is just one of those things that, so there they are, they're by the roadside. Um, it doesn't say they're begging, but that's why they would have been there. But they do hear that Jesus is passing by. All right, so what else do we know? They know that they know it's Jesus. And here's how much they know about him. Have mercy on us, son of David. Right? That's, we'll, we'll get it, we'll read some, some quotes about this. Um, that's a very particular way of addressing Jesus. It's not his name. It's not what they have seen of has his sort of profession. They're not saying rabbi. It's it's in many ways, it's a messianic title. Is that his lineage that we heard? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We heard on the Sunday before nativities, we do every year, um, in that Sunday of genealogy, you hear Jesus Christ, uh, son of Abraham, son of David. That's how the first verse Which relates it. Deacon David used to do for years. Yeah. And now he's a priest who doesn't have to do it. Anymore. I told him. I told him last time you didn't, what year passed, you didn't read this. He goes, yeah, about 20 years. <laughs> Deacon Jeffson, the rookie, he pulled it out. Yeah. He did great. Mm -hmm. Jesus already knows what they want. Yeah. But he all he, he asks them, what 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 is it that you want? Yeah. Why, why? does why does he? What do you think? So we know he's not asking because he needs to know. He wants to know their faith. Say a little more about that. He wants to know how much of a believer they are. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, it's not for his sake he's asking the question. It's for their sake. Yeah. So does that kind of answer the question of why we're supposed to pray for things too? Yeah. Say a little more about that. <laughs> well, I mean, we, it's kind of the same situation. We pray and ask God for things and tell him our desires and our, um, you know, wishes and everything, but he already knows them all. He doesn't need us to ask him. He knows our hearts. He knows everything. So, uh, the praying apparently is not so much for him, but really is for us to realize what we want and to know ourselves better. Yeah, isn't that? I mean, I am stumbling over this because I would say over the last five to ten years, that's been a journey. Personally, I've been on and re is reorienting what prayer is, because mm -hmm. I always thought of it like, well, I have things that I want, and so I'm going to ask God for them, which is not wrong. Okay, don't hear anything I'm about to say to disagree with that. It's good to ask God for what we need. It's good to make our desires known to him. But Gretchen's bringing up a really important point. Why? And it's not because he needed to know. But sometimes things happen that you didn't necessarily pray for, and they're the good things. And you thought, oh, God was really looking out for me this time. This time. <laughs> this time. <laughs> Every time, but you know what I mean, specifically that you did not pray for something to turn yes. out that way, but God was there. Yes. Yes. Like when? Like he always is, he right? Always is. Yeah. So you're helping make the point. It Prayer is not about giving God his to-do list because no. like every, everybody else, Right in our families, our businesses, it's like you got to tell people what you need them to do because otherwise, you know how they're gonna know. You go to the restaurant, you got to place the order. Here's what I want because they don't know. Right? With God, it's the opposite. We're not telling him because he needs to know. Which that is such a deeply ingrained idea, and if if we don't challenge the idea, then we think. When he doesn't do what we asked for, what was wrong with him? Right? Never, I would never think that. I don't think that. I don't, I don't challenge that. It's just like it wasn't the right thing for me when he doesn't answer. Some people do challenge it verbally. I don't. And I say to people, it's okay. Like if you need to 
Shake your fist at God for a little bit. Okay, get it out. If you read the Psalms, there's a lot of shaking your fist at God in the Psalms. So it's, it's okay to express. But what the Psalms teach us is you don't stay there. So you, you don't do that part. All of us at times are either saints or we wonder sometimes what is God doing? Especially when you think about an illness or a, a, a death that wasn't planned for, you know, not someone that's 92 years old. So, right. Uh, or someone that, why did that person get cancer? Why did that person die of this? You, you don't question God, but you, you, you wonder verbal, why. You don't verbalize. You don't verbalize. But sometimes you go, why that person? Or, yeah. you know, why not me versus them? Or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Those are, I think, tough ones sometimes, especially sickness, right? Yeah. You know, health. Car so, Father, you'd be surprised how many people, even in old age, will say something like, "Why is God letting this happen to me?" I've had people in their eighties, right? They've already exceeded their life expectancy, say to me, "Why is God allowing me to be sick?" <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's more. Common when we're young, there's an accident, you didn't anticipate it, but we are all capable, if we're not careful, of saying, without saying it out loud, I know it sounds terrible to say it, but we're trying to be honest about it, what's wrong with God? Like, I asked him for this thing, and I didn't get it. So I'm praying, pray. I'm praying, can you hear me? Yeah. I'm praying, I'm praying for Kevin, not that he gets healed, that not that I think God's going to listen, but I'm praying for me because... I can't do anything for him. So at least I feel like I'm doing something for him. And what are you doing? I'm praying. I'm praying to God because I feel helpless. Okay. So what is your prayer doing? Is comforting me. There you go. Why? Um, because I feel like I'm doing something for him. Where I can't really do anything for him and Father and Marion. But what are you doing for them? Okay, I know this. this I feel like I'm in confession. No, this is hard. <laughs> and let me, you know, let, let off, I will. But you, this, you're bringing up, it, we're, we're all in this place where it's so hard to understand prayer because we think of like, okay, we want to do something good. We want God to do something good. But what I is feel the I feel like I'm connect, connecting with God at that time. There you go. Okay. Prayer is connection to God. I mentioned this yesterday in the video, if anybody saw it. It's this app called The Encounter. It's very well named because prayer is an encounter with God. Oh, yeah. So right. when you come to God in prayer, let's say you didn't pray for Kevin to be healed. Maybe he will be. We don't know. If he's not, was there something wrong with the prayer? Was there something wrong with God? Something wrong with you? We could draw that conclusion if prayer is giving God his to-do list. That he didn't do it. But if prayer is what you're saying, it's an encounter. When we encounter God as he is, when you leave that prayer, and if you don't mind sharing, what's your sense? When I leave the prayer, what, what's the what's your sense of things after you've prayed? I feel better. Yeah, can you articulate why? Again, I feel like I'm doing something, and I feel like God is listening at least, even though He's not going to. I'm not asking Him to heal. I'm asking for comfort for the family and for Kevin. Yep. Is it okay to ask for? Healing, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Some people will ask for healing. Yep. But it, we can't expect that that person is always going to be healed. We can't turn back and say, "Why didn't God? Why didn't you heal him?" Which is a different topic. I don't want to get off on the topic now. But God always heals. Yeah. Sometimes healing comes through what we call death. But I don't. Want to, I don't want to get off the the topic. But. Yes, so, so asking God for things, again, nothing wrong with it. The problem is when we misunderstand what prayer is, and we think that it's giving God his to-do list, and if he does it, 
then God is good. But if he doesn't do what we want, we, fall into, we could fall in the temptation of what was wrong with God. But as Judy is articulating beautifully, prayer is an encounter with God, and it's remembering. I don't know how you said this, Judy, but maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. It's, it's sort of you're letting God do what God needs to do. You're, letting, you're doing what you can do, right? This is what you can do. You can't do anything else. You can do this. And you're praying for comfort for everybody involved. In other words, you're saying, God, you be you. <laughs> and we learn better who God is. We learn better who we are. And then we leave that experience, hopefully, a little more settled, a little more content, a little more ready to let God be God in whatever he's going to allow to happen in, in his time and life. Father? Yeah. Uh, in, in verse 32 of the text, God is actually saying, what do you want me to do for you? And and so maybe, like in Judy's case, she's saying, I want you to comfort the family. But sometimes we ask for things, and, and he says, well, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> and then he's getting us to think, I guess. He's getting us to walk through it. What do you mean by that? I'm not exactly sure what I mean by that, other than it's interesting that God is asking back, what do you want me to do? Yes, but it's not like we normally say that as a statement. What do you want me to do about that? Which means I can't do anything about that, right? I think he's asking, literally, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, yeah. That, but, that, right. But not for the purpose of, because he doesn't know. Exactly. So what's the purpose? If it's not because he doesn't know, what's the purpose of asking the question? So we know. So we're clear on it. Like, in other words, uh, if if we were asking for something unreasonable, if, if, if Judy was asking that Kevin be healed and walk tomorrow, Maybe Jesus is getting us to think through that. But that's that that's unreasonable. They're asking harder. You got two blind men asking to be able to see. Right. Long before there's anything called ophthalmology. <laughs> <laughs> right? When when Jesus heals the blind man, the reading we hear after after Pascha, it says, never in the history of the world did anyone born blind end up seeing. So they're asking the quote-unquote impossible but jesus still wants them to say what they want and he's about to give it to them so why do we pray recognize that god is who he is and we, we can't do things that we think we can to acknowledge that he's the only one. Yeah, so if we're praying and our goal is to seek God for who he is, do we ever get the answer no? No. No. No, we don't. No. Even though it's not what you had asked for. Correct. So right. he, he doesn't do his to-do list. Right. And if your goal is to get him to do his to-do list, then the answer would be no, God didn't do something. And then we, you know, shake our fist, what's wrong with God? But if the goal is, I'm praying so that I can know God better, and we're really seeking him, what did he say? Seek, you're going to find. We're going to see him better, and no matter what the outcome of the particulars, does the blind man get his sight? Does Kevin get out of the bed? doesn't matter the particulars. When we know who God is, whatever's going to happen is okay. I have another question. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting off a little bit, but he he healed them right away, it sounds like. It's like, what yes. do you want? Boom. Yes. But why in those past chapters that we read, the lady was begging, um, and she said even the dog eat crumbs from the table. Mm -hmm. Why did she have to... She had to keep begging. I mean, she was persistent. Yeah. Yes. But but she showed her faith actually probably more. Her faith was even probably deeper than these two because, I mean, she didn't give up. Right. So we're going to learn from every encounter. Again, these are not here to say 
Jesus is a really good doctor. You want to be healed? Go to Jesus. Matthew's trying to say to us, who is Jesus? And, and what, what, and who is he to us? So in that instance, why did Jesus delay to help make manifest her faith in ways that we wouldn't have seen that if we didn't have the Gospel of Matthew written for us? So in that instance, we learned, we learned about persistence, which means what? You keep asking. Keep asking, and if God needs you to get it, God will get it to you. But it's okay to keep asking. And that was a way for him to test her faith, possibly? Test it in what sense? For her to understand what she was really asking for. Yes. Yes. She had the faith, but she hadn't recognized it totally. Correct. So God is always testing us, and people misunderstand that. We think like he's testing us like a teacher tests to say, well, let me find out what you know. Here's your test. I'll give you the grade. But if you think about it, even that test, what it really is, is I want you to know what you know, right? Whether the teacher can figure out what you know or not doesn't matter. Other than, yeah, you got to put a grade in the grade book. Why are you in the class in the first place? Because you want to learn. And how you know what you've learned, you get tested so that you know what you know. And you know what you don't know. That's how God tests us. That we often, again, when we misunderstand God... We're going to misunderstand what we do with God. So if prayer is about the to-do list, then God's going to somehow fail. But if prayer is about learning who he is so that he can't fail in our eyes, because we know who he is, then yeah, in that sense, yeah, that's how he tests us. It's interesting because one of the, uh, we always said in that securities test that we took in order to, uh, for investment purposes, um, they tried to fail you. I mean, they wanted to yep. fail. Right. Um, and what you find out really quickly is they don't want to see if you could memorize. They want to make sure you understand what that really means, yes. how it works. Yep. So if you go into the test trying to memorize things, you're not gonna you're not gonna pass the test. Right. If you go into thinking and understanding what does that really mean in practice, you want to really understand how it works. And you'll pass. Right. I think that was Jesus' the same same thing. Yes. Right? Right. It's not you're memorizing things, you know, right. it's saying other things other people are saying. You know, what are you asking for? Mm -hmm. What what is where is your faith? Yeah. Yeah. Now this instance we have it's a less we don't have a lot of data in terms of a dialogue. It's literally, you know, have mercy on us, son of David. Um they're they're told to be quiet. The crowd rebukes them. They cry all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Then Jesus stops. What do you want me to do? Let our eyes be opened. And he does it. He gives them their sight. So not as much data, but still a lot of data in terms of how does it work? Again, what's the scripture for? It's to teach us what faith looks like and how to live as a Christian. There's a little bit of persistency, right? Have mercy on a son of David, and they're told to hush up. Here they are, the only ones who can't see Jesus. And in this instance, with that crowd, they're the ones that see him. Right? The seeing people, the crowd that can see Jesus, are saying to the supposedly blind men, shut up. And you would think they would have looked by now. Yes. You know, they, they've been following, right? You, some of these people have been following Jesus. Presumably they've heard about him. Presumably they have heard that he heals people along the way. And, and yet they're completely merciless to these two blind men. Yeah. It's very strange. Well, it seems strange. What can we learn about that? Because it's, it's the crowd, right? And I think it's probably safe to assume that the crowd is there for him. It didn't say he just happened to walk into the marketplace and because it was noon, there was a lot of people there, right? We, we know through as, as the story is progressing, these crowds are following. Whenever he shows up, now the crowds are gathered, right? And he We're seems very intent to be, he's, a, he's on his way to Jerusalem in a very yes. focused, purposeful way. And I, you know, I almost think that the brief encounter is because he is focused on Jerusalem. Yes. I think it's in Mark's gospel, not positive, 
it says that he had his gaze fixed upon Jerusalem. He's going. This is his time, and now he know he's on his way. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. But the but, crowd still puzzles me. Ben. So so let's get into that for a second. What's puzzling about it, and maybe why shouldn't it be puzzling for us? What's puzzling? Because they J Jesus has been teaching mercy. He has been healing. You would think that the crowd might present these two blind men to Jesus, mm -hmm. not only for the show, but out of compassion. Mm -hmm. So what do we learn about what it's like to be in the crowd? You can recognize at least something special about Jesus. You can make even a great effort to go and be with him and still must understand who he is and what he's there to do. Because you want him for yourself, too, sometimes. There you got the crowd. Right. What, what is he going to do for me, not those two people over there or the five people over here? Yeah. I always kind of relate that to when I went, used to go to the uh, Archdiocese conventions and you see the bishops and right. the priests kind of walking together and there's kind of people on the outside like not pushing people away but they just got to get from one meeting to the next right and then you see the little kids over the side you know wanting to see what's going on yeah they can't even get close right right yeah it's like I bet you if they stop one of the bishops would love to go over and right. meet with the kids, just like yeah. Christ. And sometimes they will. And sometimes they yeah. will. If they go, hey, uh -huh. wait a minute, that's important, but this is more important. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think in some ways we're in the crowd. You know, when we read ourselves in any story, which we always do, um, there's things we can learn by reading ourselves into every sort of character in the story. So we can get into, you know, what is it like to be the blind man and hearing that Jesus is coming by. But we can also learn a lot that here's the crowd there to see him. And, and now they're seeing him, right? And they're still in many ways not getting it. And I'll keep reminding you all, when we get to the end of the story, even among his chosen at that point, 11, because <laughs> Judas will be gone at that point, They'll, they'll see him, they fall down and worship him, but some doubt it. That's, that's the story of what it means to be a believer in Matthew. And so I can identify with that. <laughs> Again, relating back to our conversation on prayer, I, I've had moments where I really was hoping God would do something and he didn't do it. And I kind of wondered, gee, what's, what's wrong here? Now, real prayer gets me closer to the place where I say, Nothing's wrong with God, and I got to be content with whatever happens because God is God and He is good, and therefore, if it's going to happen, it may be hard, but it's going to be good. That was kind of what I was trying to get on on Sunday. Was we don't know the future, what we do know is if God lets it happen, it can be good. Not easy. What the? The other thing is you think you're in the right crowd sometimes, and even when you think you're in the right crowd, it might be not be the right crowd. Yes, and in the gospel, who are the worst crowds? They're not necessarily the ones you might think of as Jesus's enemies. Well, who are his enemies? The religious leaders. That should have been his circle, right? These are the, the, stu the students of the law, the teachers of the law. They should have the ones that would have come up to him and said, son of David. But here's this beggar, these two beggars. Can't see, therefore can't read the scriptures, but have heard enough and then heard enough about Jesus to address him by this, by this title of the Messiah. And knowing more than the crowd that they can call for his mercy. So in, in the Gospels, knowing or believing or, right? What's that? Maybe the crowd wasn't believing, like the beggars believe. Not the same way, no. but in their own way, you know, I mean, hopefully they're all in, in the right path. Um, but in, in the Gospels, the closer you are to Jesus, the more likely it is that you're going to get him wrong. Get him what? Wrong. wrong. So the disciples will eventually become the disciples as we see them 
in the book of Acts. But that's a long journey from where they started. Even at the end of, of Matthew's gospel, there's still some of at that point are going to be doubted, which I find personally very comforting. <laughs> it's like, okay, if I'm doubting, but I'm working on it, that's that's the right path. That's what Matthew's teaching. Um Let's see. So you talk about the crowd. Let's go back to, to the men. What do they teach us about Jesus from their experience? You're talking about the blind men? Yeah. Um, there, there is some persistence. Yeah. Yeah, big time. I mean... It was it was bold of them to call out to him in that way in the first place, but then they're they're shushed not just by one, the crowd. Multitude. The crowd. Imagine you're blind. Put yourself in that spot. You're blind. The only person you know is the guy next to you who's also blind, and then you got a whole crowd that you can't see. I mean, that would have been frightening. You're 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 sitting there on the side of the road. And the crowd says, be quiet, stop that, cut it out. They're all, all these multitude of voices, one over the other. And what do they do? They cry out, what does your translation say? Mine says, all the more. Yeah, but they cried out all the more, saying. Okay. Yeah. They increased their crying out. Because that was their only chance. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, passing by. Passing we'll get, by. We'll get that in a couple of seconds. Yeah. So that's another, I think, a great lesson in terms of our faith. We can take a step of faith, which the first calling out was, and sometimes the first reaction to it that we get or the first experience after that is negative or um you know, uh, oppositional. It's like you didn't get us there. What's that? Um, so in other words, you take a step of faith, our expectation is that gets met immediately, right? It's hard to take a step of faith. And so when you take the step, we expect that there'll be a reward for the step we took. But here, what was the reward? They get rebuked by this crowd. But they cried out all the more, Lord. Now they use that that title, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. When you're desperate, you um, end up asking probably more often, but also more fervently, right? Maybe Say that again. When you're in need, you're desperate. Uh -huh. You ask more often and more fervently. I mean, with power, you know. So I'm going to flip that around because I think it's an important point. We are more fervent when we're desperate. Yes. So what does that say about being desperate? Is it a bad thing? No. Why not? We can't live our whole lives being desperate. So at sometimes it it comes to full form, and we search. We we pray more than we might be praying if we're not desperate. There you go. All right. So our normal sensibilities. If I'm desperate, I'm desperate because something has gone, and I'll use the word wrong, which really means hard, difficult, challenging which we equate as wrong. And yet it's when we're desperate that we all just agreed that we become more faithful. So therefore is the situation causing desperation really bad? It's okay to say it's hard. That's just honest. That's just, that's just objective, but to call it bad when it actually has a good result really doesn't make sense. So think about what that does to our prayer list. 
right? <laughs> I going wrong, fix it. I got this going wrong, fix it. I got this going wrong, fix it. My my child is going wrong, fix it. My mother is going wrong, fix it. As if the answer is the fixing, therefore negating the desperation, therefore negating the opportunity for the deeper faith. Right. Even though we've got a prayer list on the back of our bulletin. Yeah. That we're using, some of us use for a guide every, yeah. every day. And what's it for? Is it our to-do list? This one's got cancer. This one's got a breathing issue. This one's got ALS. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Is that why we do that? It's one reason. Nothing wrong with it. Again, nothing wrong with asking. Yeah. Right? Send a David, have mercy on us. What do you want? We're blind. We don't want to, we want to see. Nothing wrong with it. Had Jesus not healed them, that'd have been a failure. And he's saying no. Why not? It has something to do with um, we didn't deserve even to be alive. So, you know, it, something as mundane, like obviously sight is very important, but it's the just having life in general is is, is a lot uh, the, the not having sight is just so much further down on that list it's just like hey you know what there there, there are people that are that are, that that have that passed on after only a couple of years and here i am alive but without sight but it's just like you know it's, like, it's just my it's just how it is sometimes yeah and it's it, hard it, it, it absolutely and it but it also helps me be when I look at like the hardships of others, it helps me be grateful. And, and, and then, like you said, you know, obviously we can't ask, like, you know, it doesn't happen. It's just like, you know, there, I don't know why, and I'm not going to say here why, why, why Jesus would appeal to me, but it's just like, you know what? I don't know if I could know. Right. Uh, you know, there's just so, there's so much. So you don't know the particular reason why he didn't. Exactly. What do you know about it? If he doesn't heal you, if he doesn't heal them. For a reason that I don't know. Bad reason or good reason? I would, I would presume a good reason. Yeah. If Jesus doesn't do something. He's got a better plan. For he's him. got a better, it's got to be better. We just have to accept that that better plan is different than what our plan or what we would like it to be. We don't have to, but it would sure be good if we did. <laughs> <laughs> and let's be honest, most of us don't. We got the to-do list. We've given God a to-do list. We expect it to be done. Of course, I'm speaking boldly as we normally do this very subconsciously. And when he doesn't do it, our assumption is, gee, we got let down. It's not saying what Manny's saying beautifully. It's like, okay, well, if I didn't get it, because God obviously knows that this is better for me. Or it might not be my mom and dad said when I grew up, it may not be just in you know the right time. Yeah. You have to be patient and wait. Yeah. Or maybe something you ask for is something that you think you need to God thinks that you don't need. So if you ask somebody for something, God or anybody and they don't give it to you, and you're okay with that, what's the one thing that allows you to be okay with it? You trust God's plan for you. You do what? Trust that God trust. has a plan. You trust. Yeah. That's, and I've always made this point, I'll keep making it, what <laughs> faith really is, is trust. Trust says, I know what I want, but you know better. Right? When the doctor tells me, I want you to take this test, or I want you to take this medicine, I don't want to do it, but I trust him. And I go, okay, I'll do those things. I don't want to do them, but I trust you. I'm going to go do it. Because we trust, we can be content with anything. If we don't trust, kind of like the crowd, <laughs> they're there, they're there for the show, they're there for we don't know what, but they're not there to trust Jesus. 
completely yet anyway, because here are these two guys yelling for them, and they're saying, be quiet. Trust is what changes everything with God. So take us back to where our conversation began. If I pray for something, and if I trust God, what response do I need? I, I think that Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's this continual sense that things are not right. Mm -hmm. And and I don't you know, I can get to a point where I can where I can trust and still remain convinced that the world is not as it should be. Okay. But if you know it's not as it should be, but you trust, are you discontented? Discontented? Well, never going to be happy to suffer. You know, I, I, but I can accept it. Okay. So maybe happiness if suffering is is I would say few people get there, but I would say it would be the goal, right? Or if not happiness, at least contentedness, acceptance, peaceful, not like lying myself, well, I guess it's okay. No, like this is what God has allowed to be laid upon me, right? One of the prayers we pray for somebody when sickness is very serious is that whatever God allows to be laid upon them, they can receive with faith. And not let their love grow cold as death may draw me. It's kind of I'm paraphrasing, but so you may not be overjoyed. I would say the saints, the witness of the saints is they exceeded contentedness and they got to joy. Right? It's the three children dancing in the flames in, in the furnace. It's Saint Ignatius, you know, smiling as he's being fed to the lions. It's there's but but again, what does it take? It takes trust. And trust, let's be honest, it's not it's not a switch, it's not an on and off, it's a dimmer, <laughs> right? It's you can you can have you can trust a lot, you can trust a little. And I would say where most of us get messed up, we click on that dimmer, it's on a really low setting, and we go, I'm trusting God, what's the problem? Well, you're on that just fast to click, but the problem is. We didn't keep dialing it up, and life got harder, and somewhere our trust got broken. And then when something happens, then you really turn it up, you know, asking and trusting. If we do, then we're fine. Yeah. As long as we accept the answer that yeah. God has for us. And I can tell you, in, 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 in my ministry, I've seen people do and say saintly things after living sometimes very unsaintly lives because their suffering brought them to a place. And then from that very difficult place, they chose faith. And they say and do saintly things. You ask any priest, they'll tell you the same thing. We are always blown away by the faith of people who react well to tough, tough situations. It's one of the blessings of priesthood. You get to see it because you're there to help them, and they they take those opportunities and and do amazing things. Yeah. Um, I wanted to because uh, I think Glenn, you mentioned passing by. I want to read you a quotation here from Saint Augustine. What does it mean that Jesus was passing by? He is coming to us in time. Only for a short time is Jesus passing by us. What does it mean that he is passing by? He is acting in a moment that comes to pass. Note how many things he has now done, which have already passed by. He was born of the Virgin Mary in time. Is he being born always? As an infant, he was nursed. Is he still being nursed? No, he matured through the successive ages of life until he came to adulthood. 
is he always growing physically? After infancy came boyhood. After boyhood came youth. After youth, he came to full human stature and several developing stages of growth. Even the miracles that he did have, quote, passed by. Now we read about them and believe. They were written about so that they might be read later. But when they were occurring, they were passing by like all temporal events. Finally, not to dwell long on this, he was crucified. Is he still hanging on the cross? In a similar, similar temporal flow, he was buried. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. Now, quote, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. That's from Romans. Now his divinity abides forever. Yes, even the immortality of his body now shall never pass away. But nevertheless, all those things that were done by him in time have passed by, and having passed by, they were written down in order to be read and preached to believe. All these things then, quote, Jesus was passing by. So I, I love that. I love that this idea of Jesus passing by. We talked about him heading to, to Jerusalem. Now, he's never passing by us and moving on. But if you think about our lives, our lives are what? One moment after the other, one situation after the other. And every one of those situations is not going to stay. Jesus is there. And in that sense, he's going to come across us. He's just passing by. And I think the, the, the question that is put before us then is, will we be like those two blind men sitting by the side of the road and have the faith as Jesus is passing by to say, wait, help me, have mercy on me. So he's always, in a sense, in that sense, passing by us. And I just thought that was really beautiful. Well, beautiful discussion. Any concluding thoughts or questions? All right. Well, we're not going to keep going because we're about to enter into Jerusalem. So we're not going to start that. Say goodbye, kids. Kids, say goodbye to Father Michael. Bye, bye, bye. Bye. I can see you. Even today. Safe travels, everybody. Thank you, Father. Thank you all. Thanks, Father. God bless, and God willing, uh, next Thursday we enter into Jerusalem. And this Sunday, do we have travelers class? Too, huh? Hey. Yeah, we start up again. Beautiful. All right. Take care, everybody. God bless. Thank you. Mm -hmm.